Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Topps, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your listening enjoyment. Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm here with Stefan and Angela Loeffler and uh, Rich Klein. Thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Welcome, Com. Stefan, you want to lead off? It's kind of obvious, at least with your background, that you like sports cards. But I was curious if you never, as a kid or even now, collected anything else. I still have some stamps, <laughs> and I didn't like that. My dad had collected cards, but he also had some stamps, and I tried stamps for a little while, and I love history, but I didn't like collecting stamps. I did the model racing cars, okay. and I poured some money into that. I didn't even know where I got the money, but I wish I'd have bought cards now. Yeah. He phrases cards. this because in the move, he found my old collection of postcards. <laughs> Because how I got started was postcards. Okay. I've never done postcards. Even now, I'm a two and a half by three and a half guy. Yeah. And I followed a very similar path because I did some stamps, I did some coins, and I ended up in baseball cards. Once I got to baseball cards, that was like my landing. Like Me too. Do you think the reason you and I ended up in baseball cards is because you could see these people on TV, you were dealing with... In a sense, even though it wasn't living a hobby the way it is today, that it was a living hobby. It's a living hobby. You can't make a stamp of somebody unless they're dead. They don't have living stamps. Right. So the baseball cards were living. And the fact they had essentially no value other than you buy them and they weren't worth anything at the time. But now they're worth a lot. Yeah. I think a lot of people fall in love with collecting cards. It's partly the people involved. Sure. And it's not simple anymore. It's pretty complicated. So you're stretched, I think, if you have some eye or ear or memory for trivia, that helps. There's some mental push-ups and gymnastics that you're doing to keep track of what's going on, marrying up what's happening in the sports world. Even in the non-sports world, there's new games like MetaZoo comes out or a few others that are interesting about pop culture of sorts. And... There's something out there for everyone in okay. cards. Well, aren't you all video gamers? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that difficult to do both? Because video games can be very all-consuming, I think. It very much can. And, and um, addictive. I actually and, and broke my controller this week, so I'm taking a On break. purpose? No. <laughs> Just from overuse. Overuse. Um, it's not a mid-condition controller. But no, I mean, it's equally a relaxing getaway, especially if we're playing together or we're taking turns. Or Export it to a virtual world. Exactly. But the sports card world is not virtual. I think it's going to a show or a shop. I don't like the a... virtual things outside of EPAC. Okay. Because EPAC itself it, is real. Yes. That's Upper Deck's product where you pull cards and then Comsey will ship them to you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that concept. Physical digital. It's got to be one thing or the other. I think so, too. One thing or the other, and I'm choosing cards. Yeah. Sure. But I was too old to get into the video games too much, which they've done amazing things with the virtual. It's so immersive. But card collecting can be immersive, too. You're in, like, oh. a different world 
when you go to Waters Creek. Right. And you're among these different, they're not aliens, but they're <laughs> other people that have this shared experience. Oh, just walking into the National, it's a humbling experience. Either because everyone has on display their best items that you usually don't see all too often, or more so, you're amongst a room of people that have your shared interest. Your um, first National, never expect to get any sort of business done. You're going to be still googly-eyed. You're going to overpay. We have a Jeep that we've taken on a few trails. and It's a very expensive hobby in and of itself, but when you meet up at a beach or a trail with four, five, ten other Jeep people and you all go up and down the trails, it's equally... Totally different experience. Different from just doing it yourself. Sharing the hobby. Which is what we like yeah, to do. But a lot of well, hobbies are, hobby it is. are to get away from your job. <coughs> That's not I make this hobby my job, which is probably why we've also attached ourselves to Jeep and a few other things. It's good to have more than one thing. Oh, okay. yes. <laughs> you mentioned something interesting, or Angela mentioned something interesting about being overwhelmed when you walk into the national. Yeah, you've been to every national. I think you set up at the first one, and you set up with Gervis at the first one. It was yeah. almost like just a show bigger core. Yes. So in other words, you've watched it grow. I know for many years, I think last year was like the first year in 30 that I didn't feel overwhelmed the minute I walked into the National. Because it's usually just so big, it's like, wow, wait a second. And maybe that's also because the Dallas Card Show is now so big that I'm getting used to bigger shows again. Do you ever find yourself... Like, overwhelmed when you walk into the door at the National nowadays? First of all, I think that we're all in agreement that Atlantic City is not a great city. No. But the convention center was very well laid out. Yeah. And so when I walk in there, they had plenty of room. Yeah. And Chicago is well laid out as well, but it's a little quirkier. It's quirky. Um, and so... The quirks. I've been in a hobby long enough to understand the quirks. Sure. So I'm not overwhelmed, yeah. Rich, because I walk in, especially in Chicago or Cleveland. Mm -hmm. They've been many times. I come in and I think, okay, this stuff's going to be over there. The bathroom's here. The food's <laughs> over here. Yeah, the essentials. The essentials. And, and a lot of times, some of the key players, mm -hmm. the corporates are going to be here. The old-time dealers are going to be here. The singles club's going to be back there, <laughs> all that stuff. So is that okay. what you're asking, Rich? Or? Yeah, because it's always takes me a minute to catch my breath when I walk in the door. It's like, wow, wait a second. I'm really here. Also, the National's one of the very few shows that actually is all in one room. Like with the Dallas show, it's in multiple rooms. So you get this compartmentalization. You don't get that overwhelming feeling of just a sea of people because it's broken up a little bit. If the National was broken up into a whole bunch of rooms like that. Yeah. It'd be easier to tell people where you were. Yeah. I'm Definitely. in room 37. <laughs> I'm in room 1800. That's by the 1800 sign. 1800 is... It's like, where's... It's really hard to find, yeah. Jim, I've always said in recent years that if you really want to try to expand and get to new places of the national, you could make the autograph pavilion or the breaking pavilion or something on a different floor than the main, than the dealer tables and the corporates are because... Many of the people going for the autographs really don't want to go for the card show. The problem with that is that the voting constituency are the dealers. Yeah. And I think they have heartburn about that. They would have heartburn. But even though, it, Rich, you're, you're, it's sensible, it really could work. And what I think would be positive is if it opened up some additional venues that didn't have to be quite as big of room or a gigantic room, but if you were going to say the autographs were in the hotel across the street or something. <laughs> But already we're seeing that the um, 
the trade nights are not necessarily in the room. And in Chicago, especially, they're across the street. In fact, there's several of them going on. And people find a way to get where they need to be. I'd love to see the National be so well organized that when you walked in, you had a geolocation kind of situation where you... I would be just happy with solid That first, because otherwise none of this... <laughs> none of this works without solid but, Wi-Fi. But to know what was where and who had what and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and I just think that would be... I well, mean, and that would be a cool idea to, for example, like the first floor is just vintage, the second floor is new stuff, the third floor is memorabilia so and like a department store. It does sound like a department store. Uh, but realistically, what makes it easy to find people, with, especially with corporates, yeah. if you're Looking for tops, they have that banner. Yeah. Looking for comps, okay. you got that big red banner that you kind of hang it high. Exactly. So you can geolocate. I need to go there. But those small-time dealers, they can't do that. So you got yeah. to differentiate yourself somehow. Yeah, but I, if you're walking in for the first time, I don't be able you're, to. you're just. You know, what I told Brad Bethune is it's the looking up and seeing these rafters and realizing it just goes back like the Indiana Jones thing. It goes back as as far as you can see. Yeah. And there's good stuff all the way through. Like I said, if you're walking around with your wife or somebody that was not as involved in the hobby, even your play-by-play or color presentation, I just think it would be really difficult. If I was taking somebody who's not hobby-driven, yes. I'd take them all the way to the back of the room where I would deem the garage sale when people have more than just cards. Oh, okay, okay. Because there's the painters back there. Yeah. There's people that are selling like weird sports equipment from the 20s. Just the most random garage sale type stuff. Start there. <laughs> Well, I, I will tell you, when I used to have prizes at the Adopt Power Room Show, and we have the Island of Misfit Toys, which I always thought I created, and I never realized that term came from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. So I apologize to you, Rudolph. I thought that was original and it wasn't. That was in my subconscious. But I can't tell you how many non-hobby significant others loved going through the Island of Misfit Toys. Rich, just as a marketing tip, if you send out a blast and just say, Adat Havarim coming in this, and uh, the Island of Misfit Toys has returned. You will double your attendance just with that announcement. Mm-hmm. Okay. I might just test it because I have enough for an Island of Misfit Toys. You're and- welcome. I've always thought there's a home for everything. And when I've looked at your island, your mountain of Misfit Toys, <laughs> the craziest things people think, I really want that. I really want that. And I would think nobody would want that. Honestly, at the end of every show, if it was still sitting in the island of Misfit Toys at the end of the show, because we never put any limit on what people would take. Yeah, it's a dog. It's a real dog. And that's yeah, no dog. one really wanted no that. You're going to the recycle bin right outside the building. <laughs> the yeah. Rob Vera's backdoor right. sale. The backdoor sale. Even to get rid of stuff. You can't burn it. You can't shred it. I, I guess you can put it in a dumpster, but that's actually not fair. Because yeah. somebody's paying for the dumpster. Yes. <laughs> you're a dumpster, not a dumpster diver, but you're a dumpster napper. Right. Your stuff in their dumpster. So, we cleaned out our house, which was a remarkable thing to do. But did you throw it in a dumpster? Oh, we did not. Did you we, rent a dumpster? We should have rented a dumpster. Instead, we rented a U-Haul trailer and hauled it ourselves to the dump, which uh, was an experience. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to get another good one for you. Working in the hobby... And having a hobby. All of us here have at one point, or currently do, work for somebody in the industry. How do you find time to split that away and not come home from work and say, I've had enough of the hobby today? 
to a degree. Back in the day, I didn't say that. When you leave the office where you have a job title, you come back home, you have a different job title, <laughs> and your family's not interested in El Presidente or something. <laughs> so you're just a husband and father. So yeah, it's pretty easy. You make the transition. I've had friends that said when they get in their car to go home, the commute is enough time to get in the mood that I'm transitioning now to something else. But I really saw it, Stefan, as a business. Sure. Even though I loved it and it was a hobby, it really was a business. It was fair to the employees for counting on me to do my part to treat it as a business. And toward the end, before I sold the company, I was moving toward thinking more of a hobby. I had enough funds and finances that I wasn't doing it for the money, but I needed to be a good good steward, be good and responsible. So at that point, it's better to have somebody else be in charge who is full speed ahead. It allowed me to go back and be a hobbyist. Sure. A hobbyist means I can pick it up and put it down on my own terms. Whereas a business, and it was more than eight to five, it was, you've got to get the job done. Like that. So it's just a change of hats, change of perspective. It's a new challenge in this day and age where there's a lot of remote work going. There's, you do not have that commute to turn it off. Then people look feet. up and they're like, it's midnight. What happened to my day? And that's the thing with the new apartment. We have a little secluded, maybe 15 by 15, slightly bigger than the office, room that has sliding doors that shut. We can put okay. all of our hobby stuff in there, shut it, and when we're done, we can go to the kitchen, we can, <laughs> okay. we can do whatever. And that's what helped us. But I was curious whether either of you had something to that. The office at home has cards in it. The only cards I'm allowed to keep in the living room is we got married on Derek Jeter's birthday. I have a Texas Ranger teddy bear with about 200 Derek Jeter cards in the middle of it, and those are the only cards I'm allowed to have in the living room. So it's like a little mini shrine to Derek Jeter. <laughs> if I want to watch TV, I don't have a TV in my office. And then if I'm doing stuff in my office with cards, it's usually something if I'm going to set up for the show, but since I'm not setting up for the show for a long time, I don't even worry about that anymore. When I get home, I don't do a lot with cards. Okay, there's my true disclosure here. I Similarly, Rich, I don't have any cards in my house. I'm going to oversimplify this, but I'm allowed <laughs> to bring in one box at a time and put it on a TV table that's sinking at the TV out of one eye and doing some stuff. And that is tolerated. But then if there's ever any company coming... The, the table goes, <laughs> the, the, the chair goes, the, the cards go, and they go back into their hiding place, which is back here. 